Over the last few years, we've seen an explosion in the competition in the four-cylinder import drag racing world. And Colin Wilshire from Jet Racing has recently just reset the world record with his Mitsubishi Eclipse, running 6.20 at 229 mile an hour. So we're here with Colin to find out a little bit more about what makes this car so fast. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes, we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech-filled interviews with some of the industry's most well-known figures for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. Now Colin, we've seen this car and we've watched you develop it over a few years now and one of the big changes that is pretty obvious from the outset is the fact that you've now gone to twin turbos but not in a conventional sense, this is something we normally see in the diesel world, a compound setup. Can you talk to us a little bit about why you've made that decision? Yeah, look, uh, we've had the, the concept in our head and I know my engine uh, builders and tuners and also one of my long-term guys that's worked on our turbos back in Australia was talking compound probably five and six and seven years ago because the particular guy then services diesel trucks and turbos. So his theory was like, well, it works on that. It'll, it'll work on anything, and it, and it basically does. So it went on and on for a while, and I was like, ah, oh, man, you know I'm going to do two turbos on a four-cylinder. Who's going to do that? And so it, it just got toed and froed many a times, and then we basically uh, – we got to a certain stage with what we had achieved with the single turbo in the sense of um, once I started to learn more about turbocharging myself and then we could see real raw data and, and what the turbos are doing and then where limitations are in turbochargers. So we were, we were running a, a, a Garrett single sort of GT55 then, so in a 98 format, but we had to customise the rear housing on that because a little four-cylinder... Uh, at two liter and just sort of is trying to boost that up so basically you know you can make it work but it was a lot of hard work on on the two-step trying to create boost and also be able to stage the car and and cut a light and win races so with that in mind we developed and worked as much as we could with that and, and we actually ran a 650 was our uh was our fastest pass at 223 mile an hour a couple of years ago with the single turbo but we got to the stage where we knew that we were turning it into a heat pump. So at 122,000 RPM, we were spinning the turbine wheel at. Um, and basically, people that know compressor maps and reading a compressor map on a turbocharger, we were right up out in the top corner of that thing, which is now generating a lot of heat. So it doesn't matter if you go, oh, let's give it five more pounds, let's give it five more pounds. Well, you're not really giving it five pounds. You're giving it five pounds, but you're not making any more power. So in that instance, we were sort of like going, well, okay, we're tapped out with what we have here. We've, we've got mile an hour, we're making power, and we know the motors are holding together. So then it was basically, okay, well, the only way we can cool the charge is we're going to have to then look at either putting a, a cooler on the car or an ice chest or whatever we were going to do to try and do that, which then adds weight to the car. Um, you're looking anywhere between 60 and 80 pounds to add to a car in weight. Or it was then, well, my engineering guys and my turbo guys were sort of, well, this is what you should be doing, Colin, we need to do this, it's going to work. Okay, so we, we bit the bullet and we started doing it. 
Um, I, I want to just jump back in there because you've just given us a huge amount of information sure. so we want to sort of unpack a little bit of that yeah. and I think probably for our viewers as well uh, we want to go back to the fact that a lot of people who maybe aren't involved at this level of four-cylinder performance would think okay well you want more power just put a bigger turbo on it and really what you've just alluded to there is it's not really a solution because you've only got a small capacity in your case just under 2.2 litre four-cylinder engine so that's great you can spool the turbo in at 10, 11, 12 thousand rpm that's not a problem but of course you've got to actually get the car to 60 foot and if you can't get it to 60 foot the rest of the the drag run doesn't really make matter so it's about getting a combination where you can make the power but also get the response so that's really where the advantages come from the compounding along with the idea that of course as you've mentioned you're running essentially off the end of that compressor map with the existing uh, GTX 55 so getting back into an efficient area of the compressor map allows you to make the same amount of airflow or produce the same amount of airflow with less inlet air temperature Correct, um, it's kind of where I was getting to and yeah I mean backing back from that is yeah you're right in the sense of uh, leaving the line in 60 foot and being able to pedal the car as well is with a big turbo and a small cubic inch motor, you don't have that advantage to pedal a car through a drag race, which is what these are built for. And you might get out of the groove, and if you're in a race and you want to win a race, you need to pedal a car. Um, and with a single on there, we, we couldn't pedal a car. We, we tried, and we, we had a good, a good run on it, and we, we worked out a system that we could do it with. But it was just a lot of work. Um, and also, again... Our valve train, inlet valves and exhaust, mainly the exhaust valves were copying a lot of pressure, a lot of pounding and a lot of heat in there with a single turbine trying to build that on the boost on on the start line. So that's where another derivative came into the power. It wasn't just that we were turning the turbine into a heat pump, we were spinning the wheel very fast. It was the fact that um, we had issues trying to get the thing up on boost early um, on anti-lag, two-step, whatever you like to call it, there were areas of problems. So essentially with that big turbo, you just had to be so aggressive on that launch control two-step strategy to try and build up the boost that it was hurting, the valves, overheating the valves. Yeah. Okay, so just talking about that, the ability to pedal the car, and for those who aren't familiar, what we're talking about there is if the car gets a little bit loose going down the track, and we're not racing necessarily for PBs here or world records, uh, you have built a car that you genuinely can go rounds and beat people, and that's what the the whole idea is, and if the uh, world record comes, then that's just an added bonus, but if you have to get off the throttle because the car gets a little out of shape or out of the groove, and then getting back on the throttle with that single GDX 55, what you're talking about there is basically, when you get off it, you lose all of your boost and when you get back on the throttle it's very lethargic to come back on is it possible to give us just a rough idea of the time difference to get back to full boost with a single versus the compound just just approximately oh yeah a bit of a hard one we ran a a, a system um you can run like a, a wastegate style system that you can program via mac valves and and work at what that's doing to control we also run an electronic sort of fly-by-wire system basically to control that and we had a similar setup with a single um, but it, it had to be fast and you just couldn't get it that fast to at a certain area these uh, you know these engines compared to say a, a talkie v8 or something like that with uh, fairly good foot pounds behind what these things are making the window is very small it's like a power band on a motocross or a two-stroke bike your power band is as a certain window and the window on these things is probably about 9,000 to 11.8. That's a power band. And you fall under that, 
and you, you're struggling to get it up. Whereas now, to give you an example, the single turbo, to put it very simple to people, if we fell under that 9,000, 8,000 mark, we would struggle to get it back in a, in a quick time with the single. Now I can fall to 6,000 RPM and I can be at 50 pounds and I can go straight to 112 and it's there. So you've got a car that's just easier to race and more flexible with a wider window where it's actually happy to operate? 100%. It's, um, sometimes it's that uh, responsive and reactive that'll just go into a power wheel stand at half track and, and you're on the bars and you're going towards a wall, you know. So that really shows you how fast it does work. Maybe too responsive? The, yeah, too responsive. Okay, so you've talked about the weight that you were looking at trying to avoid with going to a, a intercooler system on it. And obviously there's some weight that's being added in with the second turbocharger, but also some complexity. So you've got a, a primary turbocharger straight off the exhaust manifold. Can you tell us what turbo you've selected there? Uh, we've got a, a Garrett, obviously a Garrett uh, GT4202 in the GDX series there on, on the primary side off the exhaust headers. And we also run a, on the secondary at the front, we run the Garrett 98mm in a GTX to the Gen 2 stuff up the front. Now, the complexity side of things, other than the, the plumbing, is you've also got a wastegate on both your primary and secondary turbochargers. So you're using that to control the, the boost pressure, essentially, between the primary and secondary turbo, and then finally the boost pressure that's making it into the engine. Can you give us some insight into what those numbers look like and how, the, how you're using that primary turbocharger to sort of multiply the boost? Um, look, the... We do run a wastegate on each, and we're actually still in the development stages, even the last weekend that we just raced. Um, we were talking about changing front housings up the front because we, at 100, 110 pound, we're, we're starting to see some back pressure differences. Nothing drastic, but, of course, we've got a great computer system. We've got great techs and people that work on the stuff, and so that's the stuff we're looking at. Um, the car still performs, runs well, but the basic, the big part of the 42 and the 55 that we we are looking at on wastegates is the control between the two. Now, some might say, well, how do you control that one? How do you control this one? We basically control them very similar on a, on a boost ratio component on what they're reading, and then we're actually controlling the rest through our electric valve, and that's basically where we work those. So we're not favouring one to the other. Um, obviously, um, if we were to talk about now wheel speed on turbochargers that is where we start to look at changes as well and there's differences in the front one to the rear one and what they're driving at um, so that there's basically some changes in that stuff so you've mentioned the 110 psi making its way into the engine with a compound turbo system uh, can you give us some idea of what sort of power you're seeing out of the engine at that sort of boost level look um, at 90 at 90 pound, true 90 pounds of boost, and with this compound setup on a main line, on my main line hub dyno, it's a 4,000 horsepower main line hub dyno, through that transmission at the actual wheels, so not an engine figure, we've made 1,989, and that was at about 90 pound. So we're seeing now with that mile an hour that we're running with versus weight in the car, I would say we're probably around 2,200. We'd be tapping on the door 2,150, 2,200 at the rear wheels. Now that brings me to the next point. It's obviously one thing to have the turbochargers capable of flowing that much air to make the power 
but then making the power and making an engine that's going to be reliable at that sort of power level is is another whole uh, ball game completely. Uh, can you talk us through what you've done there? Uh, there's not a lot of factory 4G63 cast componentry left, so uh, let's start with the engine block. What have you got there? The engine block is a, is a jet racing bullet, um, basically a billet engine that we've got in the car. And we've done a lot of development for about five years on those motors. I mean, we can right now, if we wanted to, we could take that billet head off that car and put a cast 4G63 head on it. We could also take that billet head off and bolt it straight to a cast 4G63 block. So genuinely factory compatible components, even though they are billet. 100%. You could take it off right now and do that. The... Um, cranks you can buy, you know, you can buy a Cali's crank off the shelf. You could buy a K1 crank off the shelf. You can get custom cranks; they'll all bolt straight into that. They're all a 4G63 crank. Um, pistons and rods are same again. They're at an 85 mil bore. Uh, obviously, we have our own custom piston design, our own rod designs. But again, valve train is. Um, we still run standard Mitsubishi lifters, standard Mitsubishi rockers in there. Um, obviously, there are our own cam profiles, yep. but again, for our valves, all the stuff is very sim- simple stuff um, that is still a lot of 4G63 off the shelf items. It's not our, it's not our OME stuff, but um, yeah, there's. A no, lot I think the, the purists are probably going to argue as soon as you go billet, it's it's no longer a 4G63. That's not an argument I'm personally interested in getting into, no, but it really does keep the DNA of the 4G63. Uh, when it comes to these engines, we've always obviously got the option when you go billet to do just about anything you want. But the popular combinations are the 4G63 block or also the six mil higher tool deck 4G64 block. And you've said that you're at about 2.2 liters with this engine. So are you using the 4G64 deck height or is it still the 63 deck height? It's still the 63 deck height in this particular combination, um, but we just make that up through rod and crank, rod and piston design basically to get, you know, we're like a 2.19 something motor in there at the moment. We, over the years, we've developed the, two. we tried 2.4s, they just don't like it. They won't rev. We can turn this thing to 11.8 on every shift. Um, and, you know, the only weakness at the moment we've probably got is the physical component of the factory rockers that and none of that seat pressure that we're running and spring pressure that needs to be there to keep the motor going at 100 pound. We are smashing rockers out of it. And that's probably our weakness, but we're happy with that. We can still we can deal with it. So that's actually one thing I haven't seen a lot of here is the billet cylinder head. So that's something you've developed in-house. When you go to the billet cylinder head, obviously that gives you a lot of flexibility. And just recently we've seen a, a European manufacturer come out with a uh, cast 4G63 replacement head that swaps to a uh, bucket-style valve actuation. Do you see that as an advantage with the Mitsubishi if you're going that way compared to a roller rocker? Look, um, it, is, it is a better design. Um, the bucket design... Um, is certainly a lot bigger with, you know, you can get a bigger lobe on there on the cam and you can certainly do a lot more with a bucket than what we can with the rocker, the roller rocker component. We, we struggle to keep them in, but we do very, our rocker geometry design on these motors is second to none. We got a really good bloke that does that for us and we hold them in there and everyone just dies when we tell them we turn the thing to 11.8 and we do and it'll run it. You can look at any in-car footage and It'll run it through every gear change, and, and we do it all the time. But, yeah, so it would be a, certainly a different design. But, again, our uh, our brackets and our racing back in Australia and 
and what they talk about. And obviously where we started with these Mitsubishi engines to where we are today, we've tried to keep a lot of the components with what they are. It's a Mitsubishi engine. And I mean, again, like people say, they might debate about a billet block and a billet head, but Again, all the stuff that's in that head can go into my other pickup engine. It's all the same stuff. We've just changed a bit of port angle to ch- in the billet head, but it also gives us the flexibility. To, instead of t- talking a, a head down to 90 foot-pounds, we can use it to work it down to 110 foot-pounds. So we're, we're clamping the head up better. We don't have any water and oil through the decks, which is safer. We drag race. Safety is priority. And if I throw a rod out of the side of this, I'm not spraying it all over the track. I'm not putting myself at danger and I'm not putting other races at danger or something lands in the next lane. So the, the billet component is not all about horsepower, where people seem to think it is. It's about safety. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's something that's easy to overlook. And I was going to mention there whether you were running any water through any of the components. And I think as well as the safety aspect there, if you've got a completely dry engine, it gives a lot more rigidity to those uh, components as well. You're like, you've got less likelihood of the combustion chamber flexing and the cylinder head flexing. So is that instrumental as well in keeping that cylinder head sealed to the block well at 100 plus PSI? Yeah, look, we use a firing design to... Com- to conceal our boost as much as we can in there, but cylinder pressures in an 85mm bore of a thing that's making 500 plus per cylinder, our cylinder pressures are out of the roof compared to most other V8s and then all those sort of motors. So we need to keep that in there, and obviously the billet stuff, it, it does that. You know, We can all try it and do as much as we can, and we have for 15, 20 years to keep a cast head on there and not weld them and so they don't warp and flex and... But, you know, we even now, at this level now, we're starting to see fatigue. Um, some of our blocks and heads are a bit older, and, and you'll start to see little signs of things coming out. But that's what it's about at this level, you know what I mean? If you want to be at this level, this is the stuff you need to do it. You know? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people probably sitting back at home watching think that you uh, piece together a 2,000-plus horsepower 4G63 with the best off-the-shelf component tree, and then you put it to, into the car and you forget about it and go drag racing for a season. And uh, the honest truth is, clearly, that's not the reality? No, it's not. I mean, you know, I, I reckon I could probably throw a cast head on this and go and run 650s all day long if I wanted to and I could probably now with my design and development I reckon I could probably get a cast block and with uh, with the built-in cradle into it and put my design and engineering in and piston design and rod design and crank design and and what we've done in the valve train now and probably throw it all back into a cast motor and I reckon I'd go 640s just to shut up the sooks out there you know what I mean but what's the point I don't need to do that I don't need to prove it I've been doing this for 25 years and we're at the level that we are from development. So, yeah, and I think the thing is, ultimately, drag racers always want to go faster. So you want components in the car that are going to be reliable uh, and allow you to do what you want to do. Uh, one more thing I want to talk about here is the fuel system. Now, at this sort of power level, as is pretty common, you're running on methanol fuel. And the problem with methanol fuel is that we need a lot of it in order to make the horsepower or keep the engine reliable compared to the likes of a gasoline-based fuel. Uh, so can you talk us through the fuel system in terms of the injectors and how you're using those? Yeah, look, the, the car runs a brand new... We've got a brand new M150 um, in the car. It's basically the top of the range of everything in the Motec side of things. And um, we've, we've got a pretty good system in the fueling. We run a, a Kinsler fuel system that's driven off the back of our oil pump, dry sump pump system. That's pretty much one of the biggest Kinsler pumps that you can get in the thing. So we need big fuel delivery. 
We've got a tank. You probably see if you have a look around the car. We've got some big braided hoses instead of the softer hose that we run to the fuel system and the oiling system in the car so we can get as much oil in there and as much fuel as we can. We're basically currently running, when we rent the 626 at home at 229, we came back and the talk was basically we wouldn't have even had a drip out of a garden hose, the fuel left on that run. And we were running, back then we were running one, two, we had three Siemens Deckers, the 2400s per, 2450s, whatever they are, per cylinder. So we sort of went, well, hang on, we're going to go to, and that was at 90 pounds, we want to go to 100, 110, 120 pounds eventually down the track. So we ended up having to redesign our inlet manifold and we put another two injectors underneath. So now we run five per cylinder. Now those 2450 Siemens Deckers, they are actually modified to 2750s. So we run five of those per cylinder and we also run two upstream on the inlet pipe to do some cooling. So there's a lot of fuel going into this motor. Can we just get back to those injectors on the inlet manifold? Five per cylinder is a lot of injector, let's be honest. Uh, how are you controlling that? Is, is there just a two staging for all five injectors or are you running three stages or even more? No, we, we actually, I think we run the primaries very low on idle and the idle area and that, the primaries. But pretty much after that, you know, we've had previous where we can run a two stage and a three stage, but now we've got them all on a blend so basically we've got the primaries and then what we call our secondaries and tertiaries. So secondaries are coming in and the tertiaries come in, but they're all in a blend basically. So essentially inside of the ECU you've got three stages that yes. the tuner can control and bring in as the fuel demands increase? Basically, yes. Yeah. And the two injectors that you've got in the charge pipe coming off your secondary turbocharger, so how are you using those? They basically just come on at a spot where we're at a, I think it's possibly a boost area that we're getting to or a heat area that we're starting to see that they'll just turn on through through the transition of the run. They're not running obviously on idle or anything like that, but when they've got some boost up its bum, it's running. So, And the, the idea there really isn't just about adding the fuel, it's, it's about using the latent heat of evaporation of the methanol fuel to draw the heat out of that charge air, which obviously at 110 psi, even compounding is still going to be scorching. Yeah, it, it, it certainly does. The the beauty of probably more on a, a technical side for some techers out there that don't really know how the compounding works, but we were talking earlier about the single turbo being off a compressor map. Now, if you know a compressor map and you study compressor maps, generally the centre of a compressor map is its most efficient area uh, on its pressure ratio on what it's at. So these particular two turbos are a high-pressure style turbo, and they basically need to be in an area to work. So what we've done, when we had the single on there, we were off the compressor map, so we were basically generating a heat pump. So with today's system now, with the compound, we've actually brought the two turbos. The front turbo might be spinning at, say, 78,000. Sorry, the front one might be spinning at 68,000, which is our front one, the inlet one. And then our primary one, which is doing the more work, that might be spinning at 78,000, 80,000 RPM. So instead of that 122,000 that we spoke about earlier, we've actually slowed both turbos right down. So in, 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 in the science behind that, we've brought them both into the compressor map. So therefore, we have a cooler intake charge. Um, we basically then put the injectors in there just as another secondary cooling item. So we spray them upstream. So by the time it gets around into the throttle body, it's dispersed, the cooler air charge. So yeah, compounding, two turbos, better efficiency, slowing the turbos down, bringing them into efficiency area, 
cooler air intake charge is basically doing the job. No cooler, no core in there, and um, and that's where we're getting our cooler air from. I think that's probably a nice, succinct way of, of dumbing it down and making it really easy to understand as well. Look, the last question that's on my mind, and probably a lot of other people out there as well, 620, you're dangerously close to five seconds but of course in drag racing terms that uh, two tenths is, is a world of difference yeah. but uh, is it possible for a four cylinder like this to be running in the five second bracket in time? I would like to think this time next year I'll be cracking a five so That's not even far away, we really look forward to seeing that, that would be certainly something to, to watch But yeah. look, Thanks for your time today Colin, great to get some insight into the car, really appreciate it and we look forward to seeing that five second pass No worries, thank you If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe.